everybody. Thanks for joining us. Um, this is the first time that we have recorded a podcast here at Redeemer. My name is Chris Horn. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer, and I focus on spiritual formation and joined by our senior pastor, Georgia Hyatt. Say what's up, Georgia. What's up, y'all? And uh, we are here today to talk about um, when we're facing times of crisis and change in the world, the church is called to respond in some way. God's people on earth are called to respond to that in love and with faith and hope. But, you know, the Bible is this really big document full of all kinds of stories and prophecies and ideas. And it can be complicated to know what should really be driving our decision-making Right now, as we're recording this, we are in late May of 2020. So right now we're navigating the coronavirus epidemic and all of its fallout and social distancing, living in quarantine, isolation. And there's big questions that surround, should the church reopen? Like our church right now isn't gathering together physically. We're live streaming online. We're interacting online, doing a lot of great stuff. But, you know, folks want to know, when can we get back together and for us, Georgia, the, those questions are questions that are driven by theology. They're driven by knowing God, by knowing the scripture. And Georgia, you've really put together some, you've really distilled a lot of what the Bible says into these big categories that are driving you and driving the leadership of our church as we think about how to respond to this moment. And so what I want to do with you is just to talk through some of those some of those theological values, some of those things that we say, these things are true about God, these things are true about the world, these things are true about human beings, and they should determine how we're, we're functioning. And you have articulated those as worship, life, submission, witness, and love of neighbor. And uh, what I wanted to do, and just to... to to, to, to distill some more of your thoughts and walk through those one by one. So here on this first episode, what I want to do is just um, talk with you and have a conversation about worship. Great. And so maybe first off, um, what what is worship? Mm-hmm. Like what is what does it mean when the Bible talks about worshiping God and people responding to God? The English word um, is actually a shortened version of giving worth or worthship, mm-hmm. and so it's giving honor and and worth and value, gravitas, weight, um, to where it's most deserving. So that's basically what worship is. And typically, when you're orienting in the scriptures around worship, um, worship is um, communal. Mm-hmm. Um, it does include personal or um, individual worship, but as a whole, it is communal. And it is probably, you know, I don't want to, I don't know about percentages, but a huge percentage of, of the scripture is um, when it speaks of worship and in its forms, it means communal worship. So the gathering of God's people to give him honor and glory together. Right. Right. So, I mean, so this is people coming together to give God worth. Yeah. To proclaim his worth. Sure. Not give it. Mm-hmm. He has it. But we right. give we um, and we so we give it to him. But worship is 
um, or reorient towards the worth that he has. And in doing so, it actually rightly orders all of our lives, including our loves, because uh, if he is the most lovely thing, hmm. then we need to order our loves towards the most lovely thing, and he is the most lovely thing. And so all our other disordered loves um, get calibrated back to the rightful place in worship. Right. What What is... What do, what do you find to be... You said that God's the most lovely thing, yeah, the most worthy thing. Are those like kind of synonymous to you, like something being worthy, having worth and being lovely? And, and what, what is it about God that particularly you find to be worthy or lovely? Hmm. So um, it's almost like, so I do think the ancient Greeks were right when they, when they stuck together what is true, what is good, and what is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think it's actually right when, let's say, uh, when my kids were little, um, um, for them to say, stop acting ugly to your <laughs> brother. Ugly is actually a moral category in that sense. Wow. Um, and so... Uh, so what's true, what's beautiful, what's good, uh, that is um, not necessarily always in those terms, but um, but definitely in those terms is how he describes himself in the scripture and how he's proven true in our lives. It is a beautiful, amazing reality that the Spirit, who is God, would create um, for his own delight and for our delight, mm. us, and mm. the beauty of this earth. And uh, that in and of itself is beautiful. All creation reflects that glory, that beautiful, that otherness, that weight. And so those are inseparable. They're almost like different lenses by which we see the same, um, the the same thing about God. Yeah, man, I really resonate with when you said that ugliness or beauty, loveliness or moral categories. Um, and I wish that I, I saw the world more that way. And uh, the, the scary thing about that is that we've got such a warped view of what beautiful is, mm. is that um, we can we can say something is beautiful, but what we mean is something like pretty, hmm. uh, and that's not the same thing. Um, and so, actually, God defines what beautiful is, and whatever beauty of God is required, whatever whatever vision of beauty we have must also include the cross and the resurrection. So whatever beautiful looks like, it also looks like a dying Savior. Would mm. come to us and be resurrected. Um, and so, yeah, I don't exactly know how that works. My aesthetics don't work that way <laughs> always. Um, but uh, you mean you don't you don't find a first century Jewish man being mutilated on a cross to be pretty? Yeah, it's not not pretty. It's not <laughs> it's not a pretty sight. In fact, very clear scripture says it's not a pretty sight. Sure, but it is somehow more it is somehow beautiful, right? Um, so I think when when church people or like religious people in general think about worship, they're imagining this thing where we come together on a Sunday morning to church or on, you know, Friday night or Saturday morning in synagogue or temple, you know, uh, and getting together, singing songs and listening to someone talk or reading from a scripture as being worship. Is that all worship is, or is there more to it than that? Yeah, I, I definitely there is more to it than that. Um, it is, in fact, all those things and much, much more. Mm-hmm. One of the beautiful things about the history of Christian worship is that it starts with a call to worship, and it is not the minister's call to worship or the person who's leading the liturgy. It's actually uh, God himself who calls us to worship, not even for his glory per se, but for our good, which also includes his glory. And um, 
And so um, the expectation of worship is, is, uh, is participatory. It is not doing a work. It is, mm. it, is, it is actually an encounter with the living God. And so the expectation in Christian worship is that you really are responding to the God of the universe to call you out of your week, or, or actually to call you from your week into his presence to re-enter your week in fullness. Hmm. Um, and so there's a participatory act. There's a, 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 the, you're actually responding. It's dialogical. It's, it's, it's call and response. It's, um, hmm. it's God's work on us as well as our work in Him, uh, our responsive work with Him, and so it, it includes hearing and speaking and um, saying I'm sorry and hearing your forgiveness and and eating together and um, being sent out, being challenged and encouraged and loved. So um, I have a whole on my best days. I have such high expectations of the magic of worship and what occurs there because more occurs there than I can than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. Cl- the classic example of that is is uh, the Lord will orchestrate um, the songs and the readings and the stuff for the service, and we're all too busy to connect and make sure we had it straight, and we get there on a Sunday, and we all look at each other and like, well, we didn't plan that, but that was perfect. Right. Uh, so the Lord would do that. The other classic example is, as you know as a preacher too, Chris, that you you literally sometimes don't say something, and someone comes up after the service and says, when you said such and such and such, that was so meaningful to me. And right. I'm like, I literally did not say those words. You can have my <laughs> notes. We can go look at the recording. But the Lord used it in some way to prick something in you, and so that's participation. That's that's the magic of it all—the Spirit coming down on us. Right. There's something. There is something that feels like serendipitous to us that that happens because, yeah. I mean, to your point, when we gather, it's God calling us to, as like a lover, yeah. calls us to Himself, not just so that we sit at His feet and receive something, but so that we are doing something along with Him. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but the way that that hits for different people is so much determined by our own story. And like, even just you're talking about like what each of us sees as beautiful or, or lovely, um, that so many people, there could be 500 people, they're hearing this, this beautiful thing, experiencing God. And then what, what that resonates on with them. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, people come up and they say, wow, this was really impactful. And I'm just thinking, I didn't say that, but yeah, that is. Yeah, <laughs> that is I'm glad impactful. you thought it. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, to, to that point then, like, what is actually happening to human beings when, so God's call, calling us to him, to worship him, and to do this thing with us. What's actually happening to human souls in that like at this at the spiritual that that way that we can't like quite get our hands around what it is what's happening to to human souls in worship and like what's happening to human bodies in worship well i think the um i th- i think we want to we can separate in talking about them but we do need to 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 recognize that it that they are linked together they're a nexus and so um i mean you could do it right now you can you can um, say the Lord's Prayer uh, with sitting down. You could stand up and say the Lord's Prayer. You can stand up say the, uh, with your hands up and say the Lord's Prayer outside on your balcony, and you'll experience all those things very differently. Because right. your body, or better, on your knees with your hands up, uh, you would experience them all very differently. Mm-hmm. 
and um, and you would actually, with you were on your knees, your 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 the the asking forgiveness part would be pretty significant. The or not, the, yeah, forgive us our trespasses would would feel differently. Whereas, um, hallowed be thy name may be different standing up. Mm-hmm. And so those connection of things really do matter. So what happens in your body is that it, it actuates, it, it, um, it, um, it is fed by the senses that you, that, that, that the Lord has given us. So you see things, you, oh Lord, I can't wait till we do this again. You smell things like mm. the supper or the yeast in the uh, bread or the, or the wine or the juice, you, uh, you, um, you hear things. Um, there are so many times when, when literally the audible sounds of your voices, Redeemer, uh, change my way into the pulpit. Um, you mm. remind me again, and you hear the songs of Zion again. And so, uh, so those are huge parts of it. And so your soul is tied to your body, and so um, you're giving yourself to something that you know is true, which is the worthiness of God. When you're not fully cognizant, you're not fully kind of all spiritually there yet, could have been fussing and fighting on the way to the car, but you're giving yourself by faith, and the Lord always meets you by faith. And so He begins to stir in you uh, His truth and goodness and beauty, and uh, you see and know again. And and frankly, and this is just where you just got to be okay with this as a Presbyterian, it's a mystery. Hmm. It's a mystery how he meets us, both in the supper and in the singing and in the word. And if we could, if we could um, line it all out, it wouldn't it wouldn't make any sense anyway. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think that we probably, you know, and we maybe have always struggled. Like human beings have always struggled to really. You said our 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 body and our soul are tied; they're connected; they're not supposed to be apart. But we have this way of always like pulling those two things apart. So like some of us see something like worship as like this is something that a spirit. It's just mystery. It's just this spiritual thing or it's this emotional thing. Um, and some of us just see it as like this physical reality. I'm 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 taking this bread and this and this wine um, and this physical thing is happening. Or it's like it's just me singing and like getting caught up in that. Whereas you know there is so much mystery. I mean the, one of the ways that our own, I guess, theological tradition, like in the Reformed tradition, um, has has talked about the, something like the Lord's Supper, which is really just this act of people coming together and eating this like teensy tiny little meal. Yeah. That's that's nothing like it's not this five course <laughs> dinner, right? But that actually our soul, so our body is doing that, it's eating this stuff. But that actually our soul, by by the God, the Spirit is being lifted up, mm-hmm. taken to where Jesus is, like, with God, mm-hmm. and, like, having dinner with him. Right. And, like, just just thinking about, like, what how you're transformed when you sit down at a table with someone that you love, and you share that meal, and, like, you walk away from it changed, even if you don't realize it. Right. That, that That's, like, we're with God, and he wants to eat a meal with us. Right. Right. And the fact that our Lord would say, of all the things that he could say, do this as often... Right. <laughs> yeah. Do this this often, and you're like, okay. So think of all the acts in the world that you could possibly do. You and climb he a goes, mountain. Climb a mountain. Yeah. Like you know, just touch your toes ten times, do ten push-ups. You know, like there's so right. many other things. <laughs> and the fact that it would be that this act of hospitality and welcome and reminder again that you sit at a table of peace with him. Mm. Um, that is, it was a great cost to him, mm. but a table of peace with him. Um, 
is a is a pretty amazing thing, and and not to discount the intellectual, the Lord does meet us in our mind and our heart. Right. Um, but a lot of times we go to worship and we think, can I think the right thoughts all the way through this service? Right. And will the person up there performing, quote unquote, say the right things mm. so that I can be satisfied? And a probably not. And b. <laughs> um, uh, we are not that great of assessors of the truth right. that we don't know that something disturbing us might actually be the Lord disturbing us and not just him fitting into our nice categories. Well, I mean, th- okay, so that, not to get too far off topic here, but... <laughs> now um, we're going to do it on sermoning, yeah. sermonizing, <laughs> homiletics right. now. Right, but I mean, what what's the role... So, I mean, because I think you're right. A lot of people come to worship and they're expecting to be dispensed some... They're, they're there to, like, you went to Food Line to, to get some ground beef mm-hmm. and that you knew it was going to be there, it was the right price, and you walked away with it, right? And right. You, you, were, you got the good that you wanted. A lot of people come into worship saying, the person up front is going to give me the thing that I'm expecting them to give me. Correct. So, like, what's what's the role of surprise or, like, shock or being dis being made uncomfortable by not getting what i expected in worship there are very few times in my life that i want to disagree with c.s lewis Mm -hmm. but c.s lewis says worship songs and worship should feel like an old sweatshirt or an old pair of shoes Mm -hmm. they're not he uh, he actually said there were fourth-rate poems and fifth-rate songs (laughs) But they were comfortable to him, and so he says, like, this is what they should feel like. Mm-hmm. And I get some of that, and I think there's something true about that. And so I believe in a liturgy that is um, not innovative. It is historic and beautiful, and, mm-hmm. you know, we do that. But um, worship isn't about you. Mm-hmm. It is about our Lord, and it's about us responding to our Lord. And so depending on the divisions that exist in a community, a greater community, or the issues that are going on, its own idolatry or what have you, disruption is required. Mm. And and if Jesus is an example of it, as many times as he had to walk away or get killed right. or disappoint people, or people going to get up some stones or um, they circle around and plot to kill him, um, I would imagine he is one of our exemplars for preaching. And right. so um, he was very disruptive at times. And so I don't think that's the only thing, but if you read the New Testament and the Gospels, both the, all the pastors and preachers in there were both the most encouraging people in the universe and the most disruptive. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, Jesus, I, I, something I'm constantly moved about when it comes to Jesus is that, you know, he would always say, if you have eyes to see or if you have ears to hear, let them hear. But, you know, this is God. You know, that's what the scripture tells us. I mean, th- this is God come on earth as a human being doing life with us. And he's saying these things that, you know, the powerful aren't getting at all. They're actually really offended uh, and critical of what he has to say because it's disrupting them. And so initially the poor are responding and the needy are responding. They have ears to hear. Um, but in the end, everybody leaves him. Right. Nobody gets it to an extent. And so, yeah, I, I just, to, to continue to go to, a, to have a worship, quote unquote, worship experience and that you're never walking away feeling like, 
no. If that's what it is, I don't want, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, if, if you go through 50 years of worshiping and you never go, I don't like this Jesus guy, right. then you're probably not seeing the Jesus of the Bible. Mm. Um, and well, I say 50 years. Tr- uh, my former um, colleague, Howard Brown, used to say, if at least once a year you don't want to leave the church, then you're probably not listening to your pastor. Right. Or your uh, pastor is just telling you what, what he you, knows you want to hear. Right, right. They know you I want mean, to. look at things like Isaiah, what is it, is it 58, where he's like, all of your worship is horrible because you don't care about the poor. Right. Yeah, actually, This is the kind of fasting I like. You're doing all the religious rituals in the world, and none of it matters because you hate the poor and you're oppressive in the way you deal with each other. Right. So, I don't know. I mean, seems like Isaiah was a pretty good preacher. <laughs> it didn't do him any favors. <laughs> That's for sure. So, okay, so like in this moment, like in the disruptive moment, because part, part of what we're talking about is that something like worship is guiding how we navigate um, or respond to like really disruptive moments. Like right now, we're, that disruptive moment is COVID. Um, when, when we can't gather together physically or we can only gather together physically in a way that's like, like right now we're, we're together, but we're distanced and we're wearing masks. You know, it's not exactly like intimate. <laughs> um, what, what is, is worship diminished then? Is it not what it's supposed to be? Like, what is worship when you can't get together and like hug and like share communion, you know? Yeah, it's definitely diminished. Mm. There's no two ways about it, but don't, don't think because it's diminished now, it wasn't diminished before. What do you mean? All of our worship is diminished until that great day when our worship will be made perfect. Sure. Every time Redeemer's met, it's been diminished. If for nothing else, the clarity and courage of your pastor is preaching. Mm-hmm. But more than that, um, sin diminishes, distance diminishes, gossip diminishes, um, expectations diminish. Now, we feel it differently, but I, you know, mark my words, when we come back and we have 50 people in the room and we sing masked together, you will experience that as diminished. Mm-hmm. And I don't know when we'll have 300 people in a room singing together and it be like it once was. I just don't know. And doesn't either as anybody else. Mm. But to think that's the pinnacle is a problem. Sure. Um, because we're divided with our brothers and sisters, ethnically, theologically, and so many other ways. And that's a diminished worship. Right. So... So what you're in one saying, sense, the appetite for more should be even greater now. And also, like, as I've heard from everybody, I cannot wait until we can have children's ministry and childcare again, because my worship will be increased in its experience. And it will be. And that's great. Mm-hmm. We're all a little bit rent, as Amanda's grandma would say, a little mm-hmm. ruined, that, um, that we've had such amazing children's ministry. But that's not the pinnacle. Right. The pinnacle is the new heaven and the new earth. And we'll all wait for that. So, I mean, what, what, what I'm hearing you saying is that even our best experience of worshiping God, we're seeing his loveliness, we're being even like disruptive, made uncomfortable, and we're with other people that, that we love and we're challenged by, even that is not the thing. We're not hope. That is not our hope. Hmm. We take the supper every week. We remember the past. We remember the gospel for the present, for everyone who's there. And we do this again, we do this until the Lord comes back again and then serves the table for us directly. That's when it won't be diminished. Wow. Yeah. So, man, yeah. So, I mean, that that helps me just even thinking about 
what I'm looking forward to. And there's a sense that even right now when we can't gather, in some ways, it's helpful, right? I mean, it's helpful to give us a sense of longing um, that even when we gather together, we're still going to be longing. And I think I, I really, 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 really want to, as a pastor, <laughs> emphasize this for everyone at Redeemer and anybody else is listening. It will not be the same for a long time. What do you mean? The grocery store won't be the same for a long time. Right. The restaurants won't be the same for a right. long time. Lord, forbid, please, Lord, forbid a recurrence that could be worse or this kind of new stuff that could be an adaptation from what they're finding in Wuhan. Like this, is, this could be, you know, no matter what. And I'm not a doomsday. I have no idea. I'm just saying... Like even to get back to 300 at a service where you can go to equipping hour and have coffee all together and, um, and shake hands and hug necks, it's not going to feel like that for a while. Right. And so every little step is, is going to have a dual thing to it. It's going to have, oh my gosh, I can't believe I got to see their faces or their eyes at least. <laughs> mm. And I can't believe I got to hear them sing even though it was a little bit muffled in the mask. But I want so much more. Right. And so I don't want you to go, I want so much more. Therefore, give it to me, give it to me. Mm -hmm. But I want so much more. And that's only going to be in the new heaven and the new earth, right. ultimately. And so and then think about your neighbor who experiences nothing like that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so when we do regather, and we can bring 50 in a room, we're only bringing 45 in a room. And you can make reservations for your neighbor to come with you, or you can. Do, we're going to make that work because we don't want to stop uh, reaching out to our neighbors in this. Right. So think about how much you long for it, why you long for it, and if it's just nostalgia, it ain't Jesus. Mm. But if it is Jesus, and you got to reorient toward what new would be, that's okay. Right. Well, and I think that to to kind of land all this, like I. If our, if our experience of worship is both beautiful and something that makes us long, like we all have longings, even those of us that don't yet know Jesus or don't yet find him to be lovely are longing for something. And there's actually something that's really like unifying and beautiful about people coming together that are having different experiences of God and saying like, yeah, I'm not there yet either. Like there's, there's more about the world. There's more about myself. There's more about God. There's more about romance that I, than I'm even experiencing yet. And there's something that's like, that's like a real solidarity in that. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and it's really cool actually to think that that's part of the design of worship now is to make us all unsatisfied. Right. Right. Together. It's actually the expression of longing. Right. For him to come and do that. I mean, read the Psalms. Right. It's just, and those are all hymns. Mm. So the hymn book of Israel could almost primarily be described through the lens of longing. Sometimes mm. longings met, a lot of times longings unmet. And that's how we worship God. And somehow, because of his goodness and beauty, he's actually invited us to bring that before him with all of our different longings in the same room together to be people who are coming in with their hands open saying, would you fill me with what I need?
Thank you.